Welcome to Preflections, a series of conversations brought to you by Pantopicon, in which we reflect upon present-day society and peer through its cracks in anticipation of possible worlds to come. This week I sat down with Gert Peleman to tap into his extensive knowledge of the world of philanthropy, venture philanthropy, social entrepreneurship, impact and more. As you'll hear in the conversation, balanced as he is, Gert is very much aware of the complexity of the world in which he operates. He shuns neither difficulty nor criticism, but embraces them instead. Yet, what is probably most admirable is his relentless drive to bring about positive change, systems change, from the very small and local to the very large and global, seeking to cross-pollinate between the two and bring about new collaborations through his know-how. Happy listening. Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mick. It's a pleasure to spend the evening with you. <laughs> it's been a long time since we since we planned to to have this chat, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm very happy and honored to uh, to catch up with you uh, uh, on this occasion. Um, we got to know each other when you were involved in quite a few initiatives of uh, of stimulating social entrepreneurship at a global scale, I might say, um, but also many philanthropic endeavors of all kinds. Um, and perhaps for the listeners, you could quickly sketch a bit uh, an overview of your uh, your career. What was it that that drove you in this, or that lured you into this direction? And uh, how did you end up in in doing what you're doing today? Well, I, I think it all starts and started with with what drives me and what gives me energy, and that is you know contribute to you know it's kind of strange sentence, but to make the world a better place for all, something like that. And I, I figured that out pretty early on, that that's what I basically wanted to do and gave me energy. And um, I started, to, if we go back to my university year, so I studied economics because I'm I'm interested also in like business and, and economy and things like that. But already then I knew that uh, that was not where my future would be. Uh, and so I think in my last year, I, I decided that, that uh, you know, I wanted to start my professional career with Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières, um, which was not, uh, you know, it was not, I'm not a doctor and I didn't have work experience. So it took some time to, you know, to push my way in, into that organization. And it, it you know, I think Doctors Without Borders uh, combined a number of, uh, a number of facets. I think it's, it's humanitarian, so it's like, you know, real concrete needs. So it's not like very political or, or very complex in terms of system change. Um, and it's kind of adventurous also. It's abroad. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's so it was kind of sexy, do good initiative that that appealed to me. And, uh, and as an organization, I felt already from the outside that it was like very driven by, by a number of, of strong values. And. Uh, and so I entered the organization and I had the opportunity to work for them in, 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 in different continents, different countries, different kind of context, you know, war zones, more, 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 more systemic problems also. And it was a great experience. Um, uh, I think it's my, it's my first love uh, professionally and it, it will remain my, probably my biggest love uh, um, going forward. Um, but after more or less 10 years, it was, even, you know, just when I it was the nineties, let's say, and so only in the last two years, the internet and email started. So, and, and the, the connection with, you know, the home front became a bit different. 
Um, but in my last years, I, I, I realized that I, I met a lot of people around me in that world who were an example of who I didn't want to become, uh, who didn't have a way back, basically, and um, were expat and, you know, didn't have friends anymore, didn't have a professional life anymore at home. And they weren't particularly, and there was, you know, outside MSF mostly. Um, they didn't have like a, you know, a real drive anymore, but no way back. And, you know, in the sector where you are, you know, you need it. So it was like pretty pretty disappointing to meet, you know, not motivated uh, people in that sector. And I said, you know, I don't want to bring it to that stage. So I'm just going to go back, you know, and I'm going to settle. Um, so it was a kind of an active, active choice and conscious choice to to get out of that kind of more expat life and, 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 and find a stable basis. And so I returned to Belgium and I took a kind of sabbatical to think what's next, because there's a kind of joke about uh, Doctors Without Borders that, you know, uh, there's only one way to leave Doctors Without Borders, and that's temporarily, because most people, they say, I'm going to stop, and then they stop for four months, and then they return. So I said, that's not going to happen to me. I'm really, I'm not available for whatever. Um, but then you have to reinvent your life, you know, after 10 years and the adrenaline and the, you know, the, yeah, the amazing experiences it always brought, the connections. Um and, and one of the things I figured out then was that also with MSF and, and I was involved in a number of, of non-profit initiatives in Belgium, um, that I realized that um, there's a lot of leverage on, on, on societal good to be found when you can influence how money is given. So if you work with the donors, uh, because a lot of the money that, that was received for MSF and other organizations, it brought very little value except maybe just the money but to get the money was often a very administrative process and with a lot of reporting which didn't mean a thing almost no non-financial support and so i thought you know if we can if we can make you know contribute to that you know money is better given and brings more value just like in a for-profit sector where venture capitalists and business angels you know they're supposed to give much more than just the money so if you could do that in the in the non-profit uh, sector that there's a lot of um, value to be created also and so i entered the world of what is called venture philanthropy where uh, you know it's more strategic where you also focus a lot on you know how can you support the initiatives not only financially but also in a non-financial way um, and so i did that in 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 five during five six years with families with some foundations um, and what i explored during that that or figured out during that period is that um Definitely the sector of the, of you know, non-profit impact space, you know, you can use different uh, terminologies and that you really needed more entrepreneurship there, uh, that there was a need of what, you know, a term that started to develop at that time, eh, you know, it's like uh, 2003, 2004 was the concept of a social entrepreneur. Um, and that that was like, you know, we needed more of entrepreneurship driven by social entrepreneurs to create a change that that was needed. Also, there a parallel with uh, with the for-profit sector where entrepreneurship is the key for for, for change and, and innovation. And so I was lucky enough to be able to join Ashoka, which is a worldwide network of social entrepreneurs, and I, I, I could more or less start that organization up in in Belgium, uh, which entailed finding those you know so-called exemplary social entrepreneurs, finding funders who would want to fund in the structure, but also in those social entrepreneurs. Uh, so it was a very exciting period also, uh, because I think in Belgium at the time, um, and, and broadly speaking, even in Europe, I think there was there was almost very little awareness of how um, 
how much entrepreneurship there was lacking in the impact space. So it was almost, you know, you, you almost created some kind of resistance if you talked about social entrepreneurs and that the, that the well-structured um, non-profit sector just needed more entrepreneurship. But that I think I think that is now you know, history. Um, but it was an, also an exciting period to to work with those social entrepreneurs. Um, and then I, I became ready for the next step of my, my professional year, uh, career um, when I realized that a lot of those social entrepreneurs, they, you know, they, they got to a certain stage and then they were blocked because the funding mechanisms weren't there. And so that you had to work on the funding side and also there parallel with the for-profit sector where you have a well-developed ecosystem area of like family, friends and fools when you start something up and then you have, you know, a business angel and maybe venture capital and private equity, you go to the stock market, you have banks who can give you loans, you have a very sophisticated ecosystem in a for-profit environment um, uh, to become, you know, from Mark Zuckerberg to Facebook. Um, in the in the impact world, in the non-for-profit world, that ecosystem was completely lacking uh, and it's still, you know, you know, it's better than it used to be, but it's still, you know, quite immature but I so so but I realized that and you know also with my economic background I said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go back from the social entrepreneurs to the funders uh, but really focus on the kind of funders that that are really interested in the entrepreneurial angle um, and so that was again the venture philanthropy angle where I became the the CEO of a European platform the European Venture Philanthropy Association uh, where, you know, it's a membership organization, but also an ecosystem builder on how you can build out that ecosystem uh, to support social entrepreneurship and social innovation. Um, so that I did a few years also, and then that, then now we come, we come to the last uh, or the most recent phase and what I'm doing now is that what it was, and it started with basically with a question that somebody asked me that, you know, if they ask you, you know, give me like 10 cases of very successful entrepreneurs, you know, who went in, in, a, in a few years from just, you know, working in your garage to a, uh, an organization that became not always Facebook, but became a, a large organization. You know, you can easily within two, three minutes, you know, find 10 examples. Um, and, you know, the person asked, that, you know, okay, yeah, and, and give me now some example of a social entrepreneur who in a few years, you know, had like large scale impact by being an entrepreneur. And that was a much more difficult answer to give. And it doesn't mean that there was um, no major change and societal change. Uh, it's just that the, the best examples uh, were not really by entrepreneurship, but by collaboration. Um, and that if you want to have large scale impact to change society, you know, the, the scaling up strategy of, you know, again, the Zuckerberg to Facebook, very few examples of that. You know, the, the real interesting examples are organizations who succeeded in building sophisticated collaborations. Um, and so that's when I said, okay, that's, that's my next phase in my, in my professional life. I want to, I want to focus on more on collaborations. And so I was involved in the startup of, you know, a very, a large, and I think also in terms of thought leadership, uh, a very interesting global initiative under the name Co-Impact. And then at a certain moment, I also had a feeling I've been internationally active so many years. I just want to go back to my, to my roots and, 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 and do something 
in Belgium. And, and so I was fortunate enough to get some support to take my time to think what I could do there. And so now I'm, I launched a new initiative uh, together with some other people, which has the, under the name of the Pond and the Waterfall. Beautifully poetic name. Yeah. 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 Um, and it, well, there is obviously a whole story behind the name. And I combined it also with still because I, I still want to be, uh, you know, have, have a kind of global footprint. And so I, uh, I also joined a few months ago uh, the Asian Venture Philanthropy Network as their European representative. And it's a great combination because Asia is such an interesting continent from different perspectives, but definitely also in terms of, you know, the, the social innovation, the um, the ecosystem, the impact ecosystem approach. So it gives me access to, I think, you know, probably the most interesting continent in terms of what's happening in on impact level, uh, together with doing, you know, small stuff here in, in you know, in, in villages in, in Belgium, basically. Yeah. Wow, what a trajectory. Um, coming back to the, that whole, well, the global scene, basically, I think you must have um, come across quite a few differences and similarities uh, also in terms of the cultures of, of being engaged in and doing philanthropy across the world. I mean, when even the term philanthropy for a lot of people um, here, whether it's in Belgium or around Europe, is the associated with an image that's probably mostly influenced by a US image. Um, whereas there's also a growing culture in that respect here, as you, as you mentioned. Where would you um, how would you define some of those differences and similarities of philanthropic cultures around the around the world? How is your Asian experience now very different from the European one, for example? Oh, it's it's a difficult question because it's it's like like in so many worlds you have your own terminologies and they can become very complex and 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 you know already what is philanthropy and uh, um, but but if we if we reduce it in a sense or, 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 or limit it to, you know, using private resources to use to create public good, um, then then I think, you know, the differences are related to how the differences are in, in those societies. And like in the US, you have like much more acceptance and awareness that, you know, if you're successful, you can become a billionaire and if you're a billionaire, that brings with you a societal responsibility to give back um, through different, you know, through different, you know, ways. And it, it's also combined with, you know, the taxation system and the role of government eh, in the US. And you can say the same for for Europe, where there's less, you know, billionaires, um, where the government plays a much more important role, where the collaborative component and 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 you know the yeah, and that, that collaborative component is, is more important already. Um, I think in Asia it's more uh, an emerging, well, you can't, it's emerging, but, you know, Asian way very rapidly, uh, that emerging phase, um, where obviously also the 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 political context is, is, is very different. I think where, where you see in the US and what you start to see also in Europe more is, is foundations, uh, moving from, you know, giving grants to specific nonprofits, for example, that they that they that they get a more holistic view view on you know what's happening in society and what role can we play there. And 
for example, things like populism or, you know, the, the big themes and what is our role there and that foundations, you know, have started to explore more, you know, what is our role there and can we just, you know, stay in our little corner and give some grants here or there or have the challenges become more important and we need to become more of an actor again in society. I think that's what you more see more in in the US and, and, and start to see in Europe. I think in Asia it's still for, for you know obvious reasons on, on how those societies are organized, a much more delicate, you know, uh, a much more delicate movement. Now that being said, philanthropy is um, is so diverse. Uh, because in a sense, you know, if 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 if, if I give a, a donation of fifty euros to a, an organization, that's philanthropy also, and uh, and you and 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 my take on it is that um, that everything is important in 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 that ecosystem. So you have the large foundations who have like, you know, a lot of money and can have that more holistic perspective, and and take the meta view. And that's that's important, you know, and the strategies and you know the professionalism. But just as important, it is like the you know the the local business owner of a, of a small enterprise who decides to buy a minibus for the elderly home so that they can go somewhere to the children's house. And so I think there's a tendency, or at least there was a tendency, to look down a bit on you know that just giving and and not doing your real due diligence. And uh, and so my take is on philanthropy, you need all of that because it's an ecosystem again and, and you need all of those kind of approaches. And, and I think what is important is to, to continue uh, to do all those approaches. And so that not every every small family or, or family who wants, you know, who buys a minibus suddenly needs to become very strategic and do like impact assessments and and have a meta view, you know, that would be a loss for society also. Um, and so I think that diversity, I, I think you would see that in, in all geographies, eh, that there's, um, that there is a, in their own way, um, you know, it's a long tradition everywhere. And I think in some countries it's more institutionalized, it's more structured, it's more, you know, more strategy. Um, but but like just like in Asia, you know, where you have a lot of you know local community engagement and and local community efforts uh, of you know moving uh, private resources to public uh, to public goods. Mm -hmm. You 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 mentioned earlier on in our conversation the um, uh, how the the for profit capital ecosystem uh, has matured over over time, whereas in 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 in, uh, in the non profit sector. That ecosystem is um, is perhaps a bit a bit younger. Um, do they sometimes overlap, or and 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 where do you see that one might learn from the other? Yeah, I think that's one of the big trends eh, that it becomes much more a hybrid place um, from both ways. I think what what has remained, in a sense, um, is that for profit expertise is considered of as higher value than, you know, non-profit expertise. So you would see like, you know, a CEO of a for-profit moving into a non-profit and being considered as a hero who will, you know, be able to solve all the challenges and, you know, regularly failing at that. But you would never see the opposite. You would never see a, a for-profit enterprise thinking that, you know, he has been CEO of 
Doctors Without Borders managed, you know, ten thousands of people and a budget of hundreds of millions uh, of euros. That could be relevant for me. So I think in terms of um, acknowledging the, the the respective expertise, uh, I think we're still pretty much in um, uh, as we were many years ago, where where you know for-profit expert again is, is is considered as more of more value and and richer than the. Than the, than the non-profit expertise, which I think is completely unjustified. Eh? Um, but what you see is in terms of, you know, also the collaboration that um, and and more hybrid models eh? that like more non-profits or social entrepreneurs, they start to combine, you know, subsidies with grants from foundations, with developing their own revenue, generating activities in real markets. Um, just as well, you have for-profit companies, you know, developing also much more hybrid models and, uh, you know, C explicit CSR policies translated through, you know, even uh, how, they, how they develop their strategy. And so that there are much more interlinkages also and also much more possibilities to, to collaborate and also to compete. Eh? That is a... As a uh, that as a... As a as a social entrepreneur who develops, for example, a consultancy uh, offer, you can be a competitor from, you know, for-profit consultancies, just as well that a company who comes into like provision of, of water in small villages uh, in Africa becomes a competitor for the Oxfams who are doing that for, uh, for 50 years. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a very, yeah, dynamic, uh, space where where you know the traditional barriers are more or less more 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 and more broken mm -hmm. um i was just earlier today listening to a, a conversation in which uh oh, one of the world's probably well probably the the world's most famous uh philanthropist bill gates um was uh, in discussion um reflecting on on some of the the happenings in in the the covid 19 uh, pandemic uh, right now and um, at a certain point in the conversation, he mentions philanthropy enters in some areas that um, where others being traditional governments or other traditional players um, are either um, insufficiently present, present in the wrong way or just plain absent. And uh, so basically saying, if it weren't for philanthropy, there would be quite a few areas in which nothing would basically be able to, to grow. Um, are there like, like, what are some of the, the most beautiful or hopeful impacts that you've seen of philanthropy, perhaps in some of those areas uh, that make your heart uh, beat faster? I think also there it goes in the... It covers the whole spectrum, eh? it, it, and it goes as small scale as indeed an organization which is desperate for a new minibus for you know so that the young people they take care of can move from one place to another, and that uh, a family you know provides the funding for that. You know, it, it it makes a huge difference on the on 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 that life, and and so I've seen that a few times happening, and it's it's it just you know you you can call it also you know. Uh, you know, you have to be careful that it doesn't come a kind of paternalism and things like that. But done in the right way, it's 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 very beautiful. Uh, just as well on 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 more meta level, I think there are several really inspiring examples on how philanthropy took the lead in in, in major 
major changes. You know, if you see the the critical role that philanthropy played in 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 in, in in uh, the abolition of the anti-apartheid uh, system in South Africa, in uh, developing public libraries, in things like uh, you know the the 100 telephone lines. You know, there's there are so many examples. Uh, motor helmets. You know, there are so many examples of um, of things that are now part of our daily life. Uh, you know, uh, same-sex marriages and things like that. That that you know, if it wouldn't have been for those first funders, you know, philanthropic funding, um, that they wouldn't have happened, or they would have taken much longer. Um, and 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 you know it has to be you know <laughs> philanthropy. It has to be or it has to be patient philanthropy. You know you have to stick stick in there for the long time. Uh, and also an interesting example is is like the whole um, microcredit movement, eh, which has become a huge business now, uh, where a lot of you know for profit actors are in. And where a lot of impact investors, you know, are having you know nice returns by now, and I think there are you know there are pros and cons to to microcredit, but but you know I think it's it's safe to say that it had like you know overall a very positive impact um, um, in, in 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 giving access to financial resources for you know for people who didn't have it before, uh, but just to develop that market took like billions of grants you know by philanthropy before the first impact investor you know was wanted to invest in it because he wanted to be kind of feel secure that at least he would get his money back that took took like you know billions of people giving their money to to find you in the system, so I think philanthropy has like you know at a small scale at a large scale. Um, has played, you know, a huge influence and continues to play play huge influence. And that being said, I think it's a very complex complex player eh? because you shouldn't you shouldn't replace government and you should do indeed what government is maybe not able uh, to do uh, because it's not you know the the type of risk taking that would be difficult for. For a government to undertake, uh, and you would have to collaborate with governments and other players also. So it's it's kind of it's a very delicate, subtle, complex player um, where where the role is 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 often not very well understood, um, and and for different reasons can be very much open to and rightfully so to critical reflections. Yeah. Before we dive into some of those those criticisms, um, I heard you mention. Uh, you're, uh, some things, I mean, you mentioned it takes quite a long time for some things to materialize, some effects to materialize. That almost seems as if it's um, in tension with what you would consider impact investment, or at least the term investment, or an investor that would like to see his or her money back at the end of the trip, and preferably within their lifetime. So um, is there a tension between the more traditional ways of looking at, at 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 philanthropy, venture philanthropy, and then impact investment as a, as a trend, I would say. I think there surely was. I think it's much less now. Uh, I think there's a better understanding, and that that goes with the sophistication of the of the of the ecosystem that they they are complementary, um, and that they both have their own merits, and that you need to understand better that you know in some circumstances. A grant, you know, is what it's needed, and in some cases, you know, 
you, it's better to have an impact investing vehicle, kind of a, a loan, a bond, or an investment in equity or another type uh, that would be more helpful. Uh, and I think if you take it from that perspective, and more and more players, also impact investors, has, have started to um, to play it like that. It's like a complementary um, complementary players. I think. Uh, some years ago, it was different. Eh? Uh, I think there was a, it was a hype, and, and, and it was almost as like philanthropy and ground making. It's old fashioned. It's like amateurism. You know, uh, they're they're out of touch with you know, with with how you really create change. And so you had a lot of new players getting into the impact investing space who could as just as well have gone into philanthropy, but because you know suddenly you know giving your money away it was like you know. Stupid, plain stupid. Um, they started, you know, into impact investing. But I think most of those players, after a few years, they realize that it's not as simple as that. And then you need you need the grant side to to build the market, the, to fund the high risks. Uh, so I think now it starts to play out more. But obviously, the impact investing space is still, and there you 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 come on the terminologies. It can still cover a lot of things. It can. It can cover as well investors who are happy to lose a little bit of money, who say, you know, I don't want 100% back, but I don't want to lose everything else. So, you know, if you can give me 80%, that's fine. Um, there are those who say, you know, if you can give me like just my money back, it's nice. There are those who say, you know, if you can get my one or 2%, it's fine. And then you have a whole category of also who even want to beat market rate returns. Eh? The Goldman Sachs of this world who put uh, impact investment vehicles in the market where they promise, you know, 20% returns, uh, etc. So I think it's, it, it, you know, impact investing as such, again, is a very diverse uh, space. But I would say for those who, for who the impact is dominant, um, is the most important objective, I think they learn better and better how to collaborate with, uh, with the grant makers. In the terminology that, that comes up, uh, you already mentioned it. Um, you talk about investment vehicles. You talk about the uh, the funding mechanisms. Um, I mean, I, I think there's there's like in philanthropy properly a very broad uh, area of of different types of values that are being generated. Um, yet it seems that the the financial value is still very much the the key value that's being focused upon. Or do you also see um, non-financialized instruments that um, that actually really can make a difference. Uh, is there a a landscape beyond the financial value that is valuable in, in the philanthropical uh, context? Yeah, sure. But it's a very complex one. And it's, it's a very complex one to measure. Um, and it's a very expensive expensive one to measure. Um, and so also there, I think in terms of uh, what they would call impact uh, measurement and impact assessment, I think there has been a lot of investment made in new tools and new instruments. Um, but also there you have to be realistic. I think if you're a small, again, a small foundations who buys a minibus, you know, to come back to that example, you know, you don't need you don't need to, in, you know, invest in measuring the impact that has on the lives of all those young kids uh, ten years later. You know, uh, 
Whereas if you spend, of course, hundreds of millions on a program, I think that these are the type of things that, that you measure. And also there, I think the last 10, 15 years, a lot of progress has been made on, on how to capture those values. And, and I think there definitely has be, have been in those years and even now there have been hypes and there have been uh, a lot of hot air. Um, uh, but, you know, even with the hypes and the hot air, I think there has been really considerable progress on how to, on how to, you know, assess the, the impact you have. Um, but it's, it's complex. It's, 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 it's complex. And, and where do you stop? I think, and, and, and there's the question of, uh, you know, which impact do, let's say there's, 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 there, there's a thing like how do the lives change of the people you touched? And then the set, which is already difficult, you know, what are the indicators there? And then the second one is, you know, what, what has been my influence on that? Because you're not the only one uh, who's working with them. If you take just already in a Belgium context, then you would, would identify the contact points that a, a, a vulnerable family has. You know, there are so many different players influencing that family and how to know, even if that, that family gets out of its crisis, you know, that's already one thing. How do you define that? Uh, an interesting one is uh, like if you if you if you work with with young adults, for example, or, or 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 adolescents, and you want to check, you know, okay, I, I I took care of them ten years, for example, and they they have an adult life, and I want to know how they're doing five years later, and to see, you know, how, what are the criteria that you use to see if somebody got his life together. You know, is that working in a bank and having a fixed salary or is that like yeah, an artist who's like, and, and how do you say that? So it's, it's a very complex exercise um, and so expensive and so not, you know, most organizations don't have those resources anyway. Uh, and then second is, you don't know, what's my particular contribution to that? So it's a very, you know, it, I think it's one of the most interesting elements and exercise and evolutions of the, of the last years. Uh, Especially if you if you could look at it with a, with, with enough self criticism and modesty on on you know uh, what the real image is set and and just as um, just like in a for profit there eh, one of the dangers of, of of also putting that in indicators is that people start to behave to reach those indicators eh? and that there are many examples of you know if you need to get you know. Um, so many homeless people from the street, if that's where you're going to measure uh, yourself off, you know, you have an incentive to work with those who are the easiest of the street, you know, then it's better to work with someone who was two days on the street than somebody who's living already seven years on the street. So I think there are a lot of systemic um, challenges. Um, so again, yeah, but, but yeah, I think a lot of progress, but still, you know, it's very complex and still a lot of works need to be done. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had a lot of uh, discussions also from a, from a foresight perspective or a visioning perspective that, uh, when you change metrics, it can change your direction or where you, it becomes a steering instrument and not just a measuring instrument. Right. You mentioned earlier on that there's also a necessity even for voices, critical, critical voices within the, the philanthropic sphere. Um, there definitely have been some, especially in the, in the past years, uh, as a lot of, well, I think it was also stimulated in part by some of the tech billionaires uh, 
seeing philanthropy also as a way to to steer things, uh, obviously in a direction, uh, in a certain direction. Um, so there have been voices that are critical of philanthropy as a means of of distribution of not just wealth but also of power implicitly. Um, I mean, there's been the the very insightful book also by Anant Giradaradas, uh, uh, "Winners Take All: The Elite Charade of Changing the World," which has been uh, at the, at the at the core of of some of the discussions, I would say. Um, so there's a problem in in power distribution when one taking away on the one end is giving back on the other, but depending on their choices and therefore steering. You already mentioned you shouldn't step where the government is actually the key player in charge of that redistribution in a certain way or that the way the attention should go. Um, how do, do you think that those critical voices have shaped the, uh, the world of philanthropy and of impact investment uh, in the past years? Well, it certainly had an effect to the degree that we're talking about it. Uh, so, uh, and that a lot of people are talking about it and a lot of articles have been written about it. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's a, I think there's an increased, uh, realization of, you know, that it's a complex matter, you know, and that there are no simple answers or there are, are simple answers, but they are not the best answers. Um, and so that it's a search and, and, uh, and, and let's consider it as a journey where we as a society and, you know, government and, you know, the wealthy people of this world need to need to define how it works. Uh, but I think there has been a bet, indeed a better understanding on, on, on the power balances and how to how to manage that. Um, yeah, because, I mean, it, it might seem now as if we're saying that it was intentional, but I think most of the intentions are really good on the outset. It's just that along the way, something might get distorted. As you mentioned also in the example of, depending on what you measure, you might steer in the wrong, your attention in the wrong direction. Yeah, or not necessarily in the wrong direction, but in a direction, uh, let's say, innovative school models. Uh, you know, where there's a lot of experimentation and, you know, if, if, if like happen, like it's what is happening in 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 context eh, that governments, public money doesn't have money to to fund those kind of experiments anymore, and so that you know person X who happens to be a billionaire you know gets completely in love with one of those you know experiments and suddenly there are one hundred all over the city. Um, yeah, you know it, it's it's difficult, you know, and it's it's a good intention and it's but is is it and, and, and not only there are only 100 in the city, possibly it's the only experimentation that is happening in the city. Um, and so that are, yeah, I don't have an answer. You know, I think, I think you have to have a, I think you have to be transparent. You have to have a debate about that. Um, and I think, I think it, if, if, if philanthropy, you know, like you could have the same, you know, yeah, I think it's about, you know, you can have the same reflections on the role of corporates, et cetera, et cetera. But, but yeah, I think that, that philanthropy is complex, that it can as well in its best way be an enormous enrichment of, you know, a rich civil society. Uh, that's, I think that's a fact, that's for sure, uh, just as well that it can be a danger uh, to you know, democratic governance of of of, of societal change, also, um, and you have to be aware of it and and have uh, and have exchanged about it. But at least I'm not 
I'm not the one who will write an article or a, a book on that with very outspoken opinions. Um, for me, it's much more gray and, and yeah. blurred than, than that I can be very outspoken on that. Uh, well, well, some of uh, some people, uh, some philanthropists are definitely also considering uh, those issues as being problematic. Yeah? Um, uh, you mentioned already that some are shifting their focus also to topics such as populism, uh, such as, uh, for example, the widening income gap as as an issue. Uh, I think it was George Soros himself who, at a certain point, said, "Be careful if this income gap continues to widen." Uh, it's going to be disasters for all of us, including us um, uh, on this end of the of the table. So um, that is probably also why the discourse, for example, between I would say the the super rich uh, giving back to a certain uh, in a certain degree becomes um, confused with the wealth redistribution in a broader sense. Um, I mean, we have people like uh, also Rutger Brechtman pleading for taxation as a better way to redistribute wealth. Uh, but you also have, on the other hand, a philanthropist like uh, Nicholas Berggren, who advocates for uh, what he calls a pre-distribution of wealth. So there are actually a lot of people trying to look to mitigate the effects of that uh, widening gap. So it almost becomes a, a topic in which uh, philanthropy might invest in order to, to, to solve some of those internal questions as well. Uh, do you see some of that going on as well right now as as being a, a focal point of, of attention? Yes, I think it's niche. Uh, but but yeah, you have foundations and, and, and also very wealthy people who really uh, have questions and support a lot of questioning and approaches on how you can, you know, create a much more equal society who, who are looking at, you know, how they made their money or how their family made their money as problematic and how they can correct it. Um, so there are, there are examples of that. I wouldn't say, you know, that it's like the big trend, uh, but there are definitely interesting examples. I think, um, and, and, and what I referred to already before the, the the increasing trend definitely of the of larger foundations and seeing a role in, in for them also in shaping the public debate where they traditionally kept kept out um i think interest an interesting uh, and I, I don't want to position myself in any way as an expert of what's happening in the us but but um what what you see what happened there is that where you know the let's call it the conservative right-wing philanthropy was really focusing on, you know, getting more Republican members in parliament. And so getting more conservative judges in the system and change the system through that. That was their change theory. It, whereas for the progressive, more democratic philanthropist, uh, their change model is, you know, support the poor, support uh, nonprofits. Um, and and if you see where at least where they are now, probably the conservative have, have had much more impact. You know, the last years they got you know they got they have a lot of powerful positions and they are uh, they are now capable of influencing you know a lot of uh, major decisions for for many years to come. Um, and and I think as a result, I think more and more of those also 
more progressive democrat related or not related but maybe more affinity with that with that uh, party philanthropy are moving also to to become more of an actor in the public debate again and, and so complement you know just a grant giving to nonprofits to become more of an actor um so and I, I think you see that also in in Europe of, of, of foundations realizing you know there are really societal trends that we consider as, as hurtful to you know our balance in society and we need you know we, we need to figure out how we can play our role in that you mentioned that as, as one trend um, what are some of the the other shifts that you've seen happen in the in the, in the past years and where do you think that they will uh, will lead whether it's in Europe or in Asia or across the pond well I think that's one I think definitely the the collaborative idea and understanding that you won't be able to solve it on your own and that's collaboration between foundations uh, but that's also uh, you know the other trend eh? the, the the more hybrid space where you collaborate with corporates uh, with other foundations with nonprofits with social entrepreneurs um, so i think the different the different types of of collaboration that are uh, i think that that's um, that's definitely a trend that uh, that you see happening. Um, and then, yeah, the, the debate on the role of philanthropy, I, I think there's more and more very wealthy people. Um, and, and, and what does that, what do we do with, with that? And how do they contribute or not to, you know, a more balanced uh, society? Are there um, projects or um, initiatives that you see like, wow, this is something that we, we wouldn't have seen two or three years ago. Um, these are these are really things that push the whole, not just the debate, but the whole field perhaps in a, in a new direction. And could, could you give us a few examples of things that really opened your eyes in, in, in that sense? Yeah, I would have to take more distance of it, I think, to, to give an answer on that, because maybe what I consider as like just interesting is for other people like exceptional. Uh, but... I think that there there are like really interesting um, initiatives around how how to how to use technology, which is like not like a big thing, but I think our sector has probably been a late a late mover, and that comes often also with with people who who made their money yeah, in technology, a, a much larger awareness on how you capture data, how you can use technology for telemedicine, for gamification. Uh, on societal issues, so there's a lot of, a lot of you know innovation disruption taking place, and I think coming back to Asia, you obviously Asia is like a, a very interesting continent on that because um, you know a solution uh, for uh, for 25 homeless people is like irrelevant there. You know, in, in Belgium we can still afford to have an an NGO. You know, with broad support, who maybe you know helps assist in a deep way, huh? twenty-five or thirty homeless people. You know, in Mumbai, you know, you're not gonna that doesn't gonna go. You know, here. So, so how you design those initiatives need to take into account that you know you can't you can't find this you know a solution which only helps twenty-five is just not is just as well as nothing in a sense. And so I think there you see a lot of experimentation and the use of technology, the use of, of very different um, uh, models. And, and what is interesting in, 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 um, with the COVID, also in a Belgium context, yeah, that, that the, quite a few of the nonprofits that I know had to review their operational model 
and 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 that brings quite some challenges, but also a lot of uh, you know opportunities that they hadn't considered before. That it forced them to, for example, you know, with with use of technology, work with more distance, um, and so that quite a few. Uh, yeah, we'll have a lot of material to to play with uh, once once things become more stable again. Um, so that's that's like the, the the broader picture. But yeah, you have examples of you know impressive community health initiatives where you know you realize that you don't need, you know a lot of a lot of health problems can be solved by very basic access and very basic information. You don't need a doctor everywhere. You don't even need a trained nurse everywhere anymore. Uh, the same in education, you know, the, the idea that uh, which we uh, still basically have that you need a building and you need a teacher and you need a table and chairs with, uh, with children. I think there's a lot of interesting examples before COVID eh, in, in Asia, for example, on how our organizations were experimenting with that. Uh, also very interesting uh, examples of South-South exchanges. And that that letting go of the uh, of of the idea that uh, you know the Europeans and the Americans should go to Africa and Asia and explain how it needs to be done, but you know a lot of rich exchanges are possible between you know Africa and Asia or Latin America and Africa and the other way around. I think one of the one of the I, I read a, an article a few days ago which which I found you know which had a kind of interesting idea. Uh, and it's so simple, but that, you know, there's a lot of focus on building bridges and that's obviously important, but it doesn't matter if nobody's walking over those bridges. So you need to, you know, next to building the bridges, you need to create formulas that incentivizes people to walk over those bridges and preferably not one way because that's, you know, you know it has to be a real exchange. That's where the bridge is for. It's not like, you know, to bring one always the same people to the other side of the of the bridge and so how we need to experiment much more in getting people on the bridge and create two-way uh, two-way traffic basically um, so there are like you know interesting experiments on that also um, now, now that you mentioned experimentation do you feel like it's it's an area in which uh, a lot of experimentation takes place or do you feel like there are some levels at which you say, ah, here we might use a little bit more experimentation or, or innovation. If I, if I look then at, at Belgium or at the European perspective, I think the, 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 I think there's a lot of innovation taking place. I think the, 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 the big challenge is, is more on the design of them, what I was referring to, uh, how to scale them up. I think there's a lot of innovation which stays with those 10 people here and those five people there, or it stays in one village or in one city. And 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 that's that's not only you know the responsibility of the of the entrepreneur or the innovator. I think it's still an immature ecosystem which doesn't permit that easily eh, to. Uh, and it's all also you know often not as simple as a copy paste. You know you can't have a McDonald's franchising in social change. Um, but I think that's where where probably I think most there's most space for improvement. It's, 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 it's innovating how we can scale up, reach more people quicker, better at a faster, at a faster rate. 
because I think you know what I what I hear see I think there's there's really a lot of innovation in uh, and it can always be more but I think you know when it's well when I was referring to the date I think that's it's like there was definitely relevant you know three four years ago but since then you see a lot of you know also young people uh, you know engineers getting into the impact space and bringing all their you know technology background so I think that's that's being corrected uh, pretty quickly now. Uh, but it's the yeah how to how to scale it up uh, that you that you reach the the number of people you know that you need to that you need to reach eh? it in a sense it's it's the it, it all comes together in the waiting lists eh? that we have that we have developed solutions but we don't have a system that they are accessible uh, to all the people who need it at the time that they need it. Um, and so how do you redesign the solution? And, and I think also the, the approach that we traditionally took was to build more capacity, but you know, we couldn't, we couldn't continue to do that. And so, you know, is the, are there other solutions then instead of building another house and recruit 10 more people? Um, I think there's, there's like, and also there are interesting, you know, innovations, but how do you scale them up to, to the level that is needed? On that front, you you place quite a bit of emphasis on on uh, growing new alliances, on on investing in in collaborations, uh, also in your your new uh, adventure, the, the pond and the waterfalls. Um, what are some of the collaborations that are perhaps unlikely today that you would like to see in the future? Are there uh, people from different walks of life that you say, oh, then they almost never across each other's path but if i could clash them together some magic might happen i think it's on it's not a specific team i think where it's used i think we need it in everything i need to we need to like those bridges where you have like two-way traffic and where you you know meet each other halfway or on the other side and you listen really uh, to what the other has to say uh, and and you get into a real conversation a real collaboration so i wouldn't highlight a specific uh, a specific theme. I'm just if you see at my own professional life, I never had a kind of thematic passion. I worked in very different thematics. For me, it's like more, you know, any there are so many entry points to change the system, and and I'm not I'm pretty neutral on which entry point uh, you work on. And I worked on different type of entry points, um, and so also here, uh, but to bring the different perspectives together, I, I'm regularly in conversations where people don't even understand what that means you know they think the other voice is just you know slightly different than theirs but it's not the opposite you know it's not like it's not like the trump supporter that you bring in it's like just uh, so so the difference that are that people feel already you know uncomfortable with are just small differences the slogan of the pond and the waterfalls is not really a slogan but the sentence that drives it is like collaboration is the system change Whereas most often they say system change through collaboration, it's a mean to an end. Uh, uh, but we take it more like, you know, no, it's the collaboration as such. And if you, you know, succeed in having a diverse uh, enough group of people working together, uh, that's the system change. Um, so yeah, and that, that I see in all, in all, with the Pond and the Waterfalls, that's what we try to do. And it's, it's really, a, it's a, it's a struggle which we like, you know, we, we are, and, and, and it's one of the, um, it's one of the, 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 the ideas behind the pond and the waterfalls. It's to embrace the complexity. I've been involved in a number of 
you know, initiatives also in terms of ecosystem like social entrepreneurship, venture philanthropy, impact investing. And what you often, or at least what I often saw was um, that there were already early on players who tried to simplify it. And they sold something which ultimately didn't work out. And, and so they didn't embrace the complexity in a sense. They tried to make it simpler. And so something that we do is like definitely the collaborations that we have, we focus on emerging collaborations or so starting collaborations. It's really very tough and very complex. And that's what we like. That's what we, why we do it. But we're, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna pretend that it's simple or that we know how it works or that it's a kind of copy-paste. Well, I, th I think you touch upon a very important point there, the whole copy-paste notion as um, as being being problematic, to say the least. Uh, we see it also now with the COVID-19 that although the, the challenge is global, uh, the solutions or the specifics of the problem ethics are very local or culturally uh, biased somehow so uh, so require a different approach and i think that's uh, it's almost a metaphor for a lot of the things that we try to fix uh between brackets in a on a, on, a, on a global scale yeah i think it also works for in another component eh? or from another perspective namely that the problem can be local and the solution will be global in the sense that you will find it somewhere else in the world. Yeah, it's unevenly distributed. Yeah. yeah. And how do you find it? Um, and so that, that, you know, you can, and that's what, what I like, for example, in the combination of things I do now, where I'm as well in, you know, with my Belgium small villages, as well as in Asia. And I think there's a lot of value to be created if there's a very good scanning and database of, you know, that the problem you are confronted in your small village here you know, is unique, but there are elements of an answer which can be found maybe in the Philippines. Uh, and how do you get access to that? And so that's also for me part of the global, you know, that it's not yeah. like um, that there's so much, you know, inspiration and knowledge in the world. And how do you access it also locally? It's again a bridge uh, that you deserve yeah, yeah. to be walked in two directions, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's an, really an interesting example of it's such a, fascinating story, but that there's an exchange project between a very small rural community in Mali, of all places, and a very small local rural community, rural community with even, you know, more niche women groups in those local communities in India. And they exchange, you know, they go twice a year, once a year, those from Mali go to India and those from India. And, it, you know, for those women from Mali, they never had seen even the capital, let alone a plane, let alone go to India. They don't speak the language. Um, but they had so many challenges in common and so many, you know, there were solutions in India that were pertinent for Mali. And if you can make it work and you have the right facilitation and things like that, it's, it was, it's, it's an amazing story I found. And, you know, there are others, but there's so much, so much inspiration to be found everywhere. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a beautiful example. Um, if you look further in, into the future, uh, Kurt, what are some of the, I mean, you talk about the, the necessity for, for not just systemic change within, but changing also certain systems around us that perhaps even some of the the pillars underpinning our societies need to need to evolve and need to need to change and, and and what you're doing might play those new collaborations might play a role in that what are some of those systems that you feel deserve the attention uh, in order to build towards a better future 
it's, I think it's a traditional one, but it's education. And, um, and education, not, not, not only, definitely not only in schools, but how do we raise our children? Um, and in a sense, we, we touched about the, the billionaires. Eh? And, and so, so in a sense, I, I'm, I'm, less, I'm less concerned about billionaires than that there are so many billionaires who stick to their own money, who don't think that, you know, there can be so much societal value be created with what the, with the surpluses they have. It would be great if as a society that every child that we raise is like a, an empathic human being who takes ownership and wants to take ownership for the larger community. Um, and I think if we can, if we can succeed in that, that would be, that, 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 that will be the tipping point. Uh, and that unfortunately that will take many years and and unfortunately uh, i think it's personally one of my uh, big frustrations and disappointments you know having you know two adolescent children myself that i would have hoped that if i would have compared it with you know 30 40 years ago when i was an adolescent that you know a lot of the models would have been changed but also that that kind of awareness would already be much more installed in in our school system, for example, and that's that's pretty disappointing. Um, so, um, so yeah, that that's what I, you know, that's you know, if I would become a billionaire, I think that's what. And and with the long term perspective, I would, you know, place your bets on education. Place my bets. <laughs> place my bets on how can we figure out a system that you know, uh, the first ambition of every eighteen, twenty two year old is to make the world a better place. You know. Um, and, 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 you know, that will come with so many, you know, you know, that's the education, that's the role models that, you know, the, the media put forward and ourselves, but I think it's, yeah, it starts with, and again, education, not only schools, but also as a parents that we, we feel are one of our biggest responsibilities is, is to raise children who want to take care of, uh, of the world, you know, and of our communities later on. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gert. Yeah. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hope to, uh, continue this uh, rather sooner than later. Thank you for listening to yet another episode of Reflections. If you enjoy our podcast, we would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and rate us. And to continue the conversation, feel free to get in touch through Twitter at Pantopinik, P-A-N-T-O-P-I-N-I-K. And you can find Pantopicon, our foresight and design studio making this podcast possible at Pantopicon, B-E, P-A-N-T-O-P-I-C-O-N, B-E.